You've tuned in to TV You Grew Up With, where we interview the people who created the greatest TV shows ever made. Here's your host, Jim Harrell. Welcome to TV You Grew Up With. I'm so glad to be with you once again. I am Jim Harrell. And just a quick note, if you enjoy the show, please subscribe to it in iTunes. It's absolutely free. And also, please review it. We've had so many great guests and so many great ones coming up. And today will not be an exception. I think we're in for a fantastic show. Now, first... I know this is a little bit different. Uh, usually we interview people who actually were part of a legendary series. Maybe they starred in it like Cindy Williams or Richard Hatch or people like that, uh, or writers like Dick DiBartolo. But in this case, uh, we actually went outside uh, of the crew who produced the show, and we're talking to great experts on this program. Of course, I'm talking about the great British series, also imported over here in the States in the 1960s and in, in syndication, certainly, The Prisoner. And if you've not seen it, boy, you're missing out. It is a fantastic uh, program with a lot of different layers. And uh, we're going to talk to two great people about this, Alan Stevens and Dr. Fiona Moore. Uh, They uh, are the authors of Fallout, the unofficial and unauthorized guide to the prisoner. We're so glad to have them with us today from the UK. Thank you both for joining us. I know you're getting ready for a conference, so thanks for taking time. That's fine, yeah. Thank you so much. Well, I want to say, first of all, if you've not watched The Prisoner, there may be spoilers <laughs> in this discussion. And so just be aware, if you've not watched it, we may nothing is out of bounds. So we may discuss uh, some important questions. You may want to save this for later if you haven't. By the way, I should mention uh, these great folks have written some other books, including a book on Battlestar Galactica. We're going to talk about that a little bit as well. Uh why did both of you turn your attention to this iconic series, The Prisoner? Um, David Howe, who is the um, uh, owner of uh, Telos Publishings, um, asked me and Fiona if we would write a book on The Prisoner. And um, we said, yes, okay, because I remember it from uh, the 1980s. There was a, a channel called Channel 4, uh, still is, in Britain. And uh, during 83 and 84, they showed The Prisoner. Uh, I'd seen, you know, um, or heard about it. And, and seen references like in news programs and things to, uh, you know, uh, a large white ball, but I had no real idea what the show was. So my first, uh, my first, uh, experience of it was when I was 17. And, uh, I thought, uh, the best way to, to watch it at the time was, was to be high. <laughs> <laughs> There's a certain amount of truth to that, I would think. Uh, Dr. Moore, your thoughts on it? Um, well, um, I first discovered The Prisoner in university. Um, I was not high at the time. <laughs> um, I'd initially encountered it, actually, uh, bec- uh, through, I'd seen it mentioned um, by uh, fans of British TV series. I grew up in Toronto, and uh, I remember I came quite close to seeing it um, when I was li- in high school. A friend of mine was hosting a prisoner marathon, but unfortunately, uh, I uh, didn't manage to make it to the night. Um, however, when I got to uh, the UK and I was doing postgraduate work here, um, a friend of mine uh, was a massive fan of The Prisoner, basically said, you have to see this series. And he was absolutely right. You know, from the first episode, I was completely hooked. Now, with the book, um, we'd already done another book for uh, Telos by that point on a series called Blake Seven, which is uh, 
I think, less well-known in the U.S., so your listeners might not have uh, heard of it. But uh, but it's hugely influential. Yes, and I, I will mean, say yeah. that if you like The Prisoner, you uh, may well like Blake 7. There's a similar kind of reality-questioning element to it. And certain series like Firefly and Babylon 5 yeah. were greatly influenced by Blake 7. Yeah. But that's, by the way, as, uh, Alan and I um, initially approached Telos because we had an idea for a book about Blake 7, and Telos said, uh, well, all right, you know, give them enough rope. And uh, so we wrote this book, and they were really pleased with the results. So they said, you know, uh, would you like to do a book on The Prisoner for us? Because we'd like a book on The Prisoner, and you guys seem like the people who could write it. So we did. And it was a really interesting journey, you know, to, if you, I have to say. Uh, you know, you uh, we, we went to Port Marion uh, a few times to uh, do on-ground research. We talked to people involved with the program. We're still actually... Uh, quite good friends with Ian Rakoff, who uh, wrote uh, Living in Harmony and was one of the editors on the program. Yeah, and wrote the forward for our book. And we're still friends with a lot of people in the in the fandom who helped us uh, find sources and uh, provided opinions and uh, uh, analyses and so forth. So I have to say, it's been, um, not only was it uh, really rewarding to write, but, uh, you know, it's been uh, really rewarding uh, afterwards. But it took a long time. It yeah, took it us did. about five years i mean we're, we're working on it you know every second of the day but we were working on it and uh, it was only 17 episodes and then we went into the novels as well but it was yeah. uh, it was it was something we had to you had to know it better than the fans knew it and the fans knew it really really well so you had to basically it was like doing a degree you know <laughs> and uh, finally when it was released we were very pleased to see reviews come out saying uh, oh I, I i read this and there was some stuff i didn't know and i thought well that is a compliment because these people you know fans of of, of a prisoner really studied and i have been you know for since 1967 many of them now uh when you think about the prisoner the, the the question I have, and and again to refresh people's memory, seventeen episodes as I recall, Patrick McGowan, who had been very popular on a British sci- a spy series, I always get mixed up, uh, Danger Man over there and Secret Agent over here, or vice versa. That's right, it was Danger Man <laughs> over here. Uh, and um, so very much it was the time of things like James Bond, The Saint all of those kind of things. And he certainly was very popular in that general area. My understanding, don't know if this is true or not, but he had actually been approached about the James Bond role and, and turned it down. I think uh, he did turn it down. Yeah. Um, he didn't let the violence in it. Uh, but the thing is, is that uh, this was so different uh, than other things that were on television and in the movies. Can you talk a little bit about the climate of the times and how this was such a departure. Maybe there are people out there not familiar. Fiona? Okay, well, I think about it. Um, the prisoner, well, it was mold-breaking in a lot of ways. Um, one of them was uh, the fact that at the time you had this uh, uh, culture of, um, well, the popular the popular spy uh, culture. As you said, James Bond, uh, uh, you know, burst onto the uh, cinematic scene in uh, 1962. And, uh, Secret Agent, well, it was interesting, actually, because Secret Agent really uh, didn't start out that way. But uh, the point at which it became popular was the point at which it started embracing that kind of sort of hyper-reality of James Bond, uh, sort of a, you had a swinging British agent uh, driving a Mini, in uh, their case, and, uh, you know, traveling all over the world, which was uh, also something new and exciting. Um, but under it all, of course, there's, uh, if you think about it, there's really a rather sinister uh, subtext. You know, if you look at... Uh, 
any James Bond film, you know, we're expected to uh, regard this guy as a hero, and he's not really a very nice guy at all. And he's re- representing an establishment who are even less nice. And uh, so uh, uh, McGowan also at the time was really interested in television. You know, he uh, talked about how... Uh, you know, the the television was kind of a different medium to the cinema about how uh, um, it was a more intimate situation. He said, you know, if uh, it was one reason why he uh, refused when he was doing Danger Man to uh, swear or womanize or whatever, because he said he felt like uh, on television you were a guest in somebody's living room. Uh, which Interesting. In, in a sense is true. You know, people do tend to uh, react uh, more when they uh, see things they don't like on television than when there's something in the cinema. Because if you see uh, something you don't like in the cinema, well, you did make a conscious choice to go to that movie right. and you paid Good your point. money and you should have done your research. But, you know, if you're just watching television and something comes on, then, uh, you know, you feel shocked and, uh, and, and upset. So he believed he should really be on his best behavior. But yeah. also he had this idea that the stuff he produced it should be of a very good quality and a very high quality. And I think that's what finally ran into the prisoner because, you know, when they're doing Danger Man, he did it for how many years was it, Fiona? Um, God, it was like six, wasn't it? It was a long time. It was a few seasons and, and, and they came up and they, they went into color mm. and uh, he could have continued with that because he was making a great deal of money from it. And basically he just said, no, I'm not yeah. doing more. And um, uh, Lou Grade, who was the head uh, of the production at that time, um, wanted to hold on to Patrick McGowan and said, well, why actually do you want to do then? And he said, well, this idea about this village. <laughs> and one of the right. reasons this village came from the fact that uh, one of the episodes of The Prisoner was actually set in Port Marion. Danger Man. Yeah. Yeah, one, yeah. Sorry, one of the episodes of uh, uh, Secret Agent. Was it Secret Agent? It was oh. Secret Agent. Uh, I, I know it is yeah, Danger Man. Danger Man yeah. One of the Danger Man episodes was set in Port Marion. And um, it sort of inspired him, I think. And there was another Danger Man episode, too, which dealt with the idea of uh, returned spies kind of being uh, questioned and gaslighted into giving up their uh, their secrets, you know, which uh, also influenced it. But, you know, the um, McGowan's criticism of the kind of spy popular culture of the time uh, of which Danger Man was a part was, uh, you know, also part of uh, what the prisoner was. It was kind of a questioning um, of narratives of, uh, you know, uh, challenging uh, the idea of the Cold War idea of collectivism and, uh, you know, this kind of idea that, you know, we're, uh, we must uh, submit to authority. In the end, you have, uh, you have the prisoner who is, uh, uh, rebels against authority. And yet at the same time, you know, what is he doing? Is he trying to find himself? Is the authority he's rebelling against himself? You know? And who are the authority? I mean, yeah. again, it was an attack on this sort of Manichaean style idea of good, bad, right, left, yeah. um, you know, communist versus capitalist. Uh, idea. We don't know who runs the village, and, he wasn't and we don't even know the prisoner is really by the fact they worked for um, yeah. the, the British uh, Secret Service. And even that might be a lie or a fiction. Mm. Yeah, he, uh, he, he wasn't also. And one of the I think enduring things about the prisoner is that a lot of sixties uh, uh, anti-establishment fiction uh, comes down on the side of the counterculture, which is fair enough. But the uh, thing is that the prisoner was also critical of the counterculture. Right. There was no port in a storm because really everybody was to be distrusted. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you never know uh, who's working for whom or why or or doing what. Now, uh, over the years, uh, there have been a lot 
of analysis into this. And I was watching on YouTube, there was, um, I think 1977 was the year, there was an interview up in Toronto, I believe mm. it was, with McGowan. Yep. And uh, it was by a broadcaster there who I believe passed some years ago. Uh, mm. Very interesting, but there was one question that he asked, or one of the audience members, I can't recall. And he said, well, I never thought about that that way but it's a good point. Do you, first of all, have we gone overboard in assigning too many meanings to the prisoner? And and, and I've got to be careful how I phrase this. Is it possible that there were meanings to it that even McGowan himself did not realize? Oh, undoubtedly true, yeah. I mean, as a writer myself, you often write stuff, and then a few years later, someone will come up and say, um, oh, this was improved, but that wasn't it. And I thought, Actually, it was. Yeah, I remember watching that. I remember I often, you know, watch programs, and I think oh, I must have ripped that idea from there or that idea from here. And it, a lot of it. I mean, part of part of. I mean, air conscious mind. It's a bit like you know, broadband versus dial-up. Do you have dial-up in America? You yeah, well, uh, not not much anymore. But no. yeah, I know what it but, is. That's how I started yeah. out. <laughs> so, so your unconscious mind is broadband, and your conscious mind is dial-up. So there's a lot of stuff going down on the page. Um, which you just don't consciously know. You might it might be pointed out to you later on, or if you want to pick up on it. Indeed, um, the further you get away from a text, you know, I write something, and then six years later, <laughs> the more remote you are from it. It, it, it can be a case of where you know uh, fans or readers can can be more aware of your stuff or your mindset at a particular time um, than you are, because of course you're picking up on the zeitgeist as, as well at the time. I mean, if he he has the Beatles appear, or the music from the Beatles appear in the last episode. And uh, if you look at the, um, what's that uh, famous um, Beatles film, Fiona? Um, Help, or... Uh, the Magical Mystery oh, Tour. Oh, Magical Mystery Tour, I mean, yeah. That, that, oh, yeah, of course, yeah, remember. That, and, uh, you know, they had also... You, you watch the Magical Mystery Tour, and uh, we're watching it, and uh, we started going, good heavens, you know, this is like uh, almost like a musical intellectual stablemate to the prisoner. It even included the uh, the dwarf butler. Did it? Yeah. <laughs> now... It tur- Go ahead. So, uh, you know, there's, uh, it almost seems like uh, unconsciously people were, a lot of people, uh, the, including the Beatles and McGowan, were all kind of working uh, in a similar sort of way. I, I joke that uh, you can actually find, uh, you, you can build connections between uh, Doctor Who, the Beatles, the Prisoner, and the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. <laughs> uh, but it's not a, entirely a joke because you can. Uh, the numbering. The the fact that everyone was, we had number six and number two, and who is number one, uh, the numbering of it, I, I think, is a big part of, I would think, is a big part of the message. What do you think, at least part of the message, was behind the idea that everybody was not a, was a number and not a name? Well, I mean, there's the the, the obvious um, answer, isn't there? I mean, we, we've all got numbers assigned to us, and... <laughs> um, but I, I think that um, there was a kind of scatological thing as well, wasn't there? Number ones and number twos in in in, in Britain anyway for children meant sure, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I th- I think that's there. I mean, there's a kind of regression, isn't there, back to a sort mm-hmm. of childlike uh, world that you have, uh, you know, old retired men making sandcastles and wearing sailors' hats and playing on the stone boat and things. So, you know, and and I think the what was the, the penultimate episode? It's a long time ago since I wrote this book. What was the penultimate episode? Uh, Once oh, Upon a Time. Uh, on a Time. Yeah, I mean, he goes through this, doesn't it? Childhood, really. And, uh, a seven ages of man, doesn't yeah. he? You know, so, I, 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 I mean, there was, there's been a lot of analysis about episode order. 
and also what each individual, you know, what does what does six A mean, or what does you know? But we didn't really find much of a structure behind the numbers, bar you know one and two, and, and occasional jokes on numbers. Um, and like the episode ends, you know, as long as you have uh, arrival at the beginning, and uh, once upon a time and fallout, which are basically a two-part story at the end, I think you can put the episodes in any number, any any order you like. You can really. Though also, I mean, you find a lot of um, people who are fans of The Prisoner, you know, it's got quite a lot of fans uh, among uh, mathematicians and computer scientists. Mm. And I think it's because, uh, if you think about it, numbers are uh, really more sort of playful and interesting, um, you know, once you actually start to think about them. I mean, remember that uh, book we read by Booth and Bloom, uh, uh, one of the uh, prisoner spin-off books that uh, started playing with it and started having uh, people in the village with imaginary numbers. And pointing out that I is actually a number. So, uh, yeah. you know, you've got, uh, I am not a number. Well, uh, in another sense, I is, you know, so yeah. it's uh, <laughs> kind of an interesting, uh, you know, bit of intellectual uh, play with uh, that the prisoner is doing. Also, if you ever go to Port Marion, um, you're, you're quite surprised because the way they direct it, uh, you walk down a car, you walk down one uh, street or avenue and the uh, next minute you're in the plaza, but you aren't in the plaza. They, <laughs> they've, it's, it's a it's a bizarre yeah. kind of yeah, isn't it? It, 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 it? The village in on TV seems much bigger than the village actually is, than, than Port Marion actually is. Mm-hmm. And the, but the geography is completely screwed. Well, it's it, it's interesting when you see. Um, it was funny. I was watching with my daughter. This is what that's what what uh, encouraged me to do this. I started watching the series again. I'd seen it like you were of similar age alan and i'd saw seen it here on repeat in the 80s and started to watch it again and i was looking at the phones and the phone they have looked very much like the cordless phone we had in the 90s and it almost was a predictor the show was prescient i i think of that little salute they have be seeing you with the thumb and the index finger yeah and and i think about kind of the development of the surveillance state i think about the fact that we all have uh, carrying around with us little devices that are like many spying devices in many ways. Mm. You can take video, you can take audio. Just in the last month, uh, the apps Periscope and Meerkat, where you can broadcast everything live uh, to the to the world, which reminded me of the control room in the Periscope. So it's almost like, uh, and I don't know if it was intentional or not, but McGowan foretold a lot of things that were still yet to come. Well, I, I think this was the first credit card appears in there, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, there was a lot, a lot of the stuff, you know, like sliding doors and things. I mean, they, they, they have been, they have been, uh, you know, a, a staple of science fiction for many years. I, I know what you mean by it, the, the phones. They did a, um, there was a kind of, I mean, Britain is a, is a highly, um, you know, um, observed society. Everywhere you go, there is a, there is a camera on a wall watching you or going to a shop. Uh, they, they were obsessed with. Uh, I don't think they, whether they record any of it or actually are able to find anything more than sort of blobby images when something dangerous happens. Um, but you know, we we are um, uh, surveyed, and of course you have. You know, there is a lot of you know eye and you know an eyeball sort of chair, and <laughs> you know, and they're on this kind of um, rocking thing, aren't they? What's that called, um, Tina? Oh, uh, the. Uh... Oh, my mind's gone blank, but that kind of panopticon thing where they're sort of observing uh, everything in the village, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it, it's, um, the, I mean, I, I think that if you, I mean, there's the the bubble, for example, whatever, Rover, Rover they call it, yes. didn't they? Um, we're not, we haven't actually developed 
developed that yet. <laughs> that yet. We don't quite know what it is. I mean, it came out of um, the the original idea was a kind of like a strange sort of bubble car, wasn't it? With a, a mm. siren on the top, and um, it didn't work. So they then uh, several people seemed to come up with an idea at the same time to use one of these huge uh, what are they called weather balloons? Weather yeah. balloons. That's right. And and yet it works, doesn't it? It sort of fits with the 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 you know the iconography of the show. Yeah, it really. The does. trouble is, you know, it's it's very difficult to point to the prisoner and say, you know, the prisoner is about this. Mm-hmm. because it changes, you know. You know, you, you watch an episode and you go away and you think, oh, I know what that was about, and it was about this. And you watch it again a few months later and you think, oh, that was completely different. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, like a, it's like a mobile. You know, you've got a mobile and it turns. Right. And every time it turns, you see a different facet of it. And that's the prisoner. Yeah, it's a bit of a cliche in a sense to say, uh, you know, it speaks to a universal truth. But in some ways, it almost does, you know, that uh, there were elements of Western society that, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, may have been not quite so obvious in the 60s as now. But, you know, the seeds of uh, what we have now were clearly there. You know, the uh, um, people, um, you know, the thing that astounds people um, a lot about the uh, today is the fact that we are so endlessly surveyed and yet we acquiesce to it mm. you know we uh, uh, they say you know kind of the government uh, surveys us and uh, people say uh, outrageous there must be questions and yet we all willingly hand over our uh, personal data to google uh, you know every time we do a search um, but you know if you look at the prisoner you've got elements of where this kind of infantilization of consumerism where we just kind of uh, assume that uh, you know that everything is for the best, and uh, likewise, though a kind of a you know a surveillance state that builds up a sense of fear, so that we feel like you know, well, it's okay if they've got our data because uh, they're chasing the bad guys, aren't they? And uh, so you've got to uh, you know, it's it it's one reason why I think uh, the prisoner is you know so, uh, something that I would still encourage people to watch. Why it hasn't dated because uh, it's asking questions that we still don't have any answers for. But another thing is that I think. Uh... It's one of these enigmas. If you look at a particular thing, and you and, and you you know, let's say for example, um, you, know, uh, you know, where the prisoner lives, there's a big board, isn't there, with numbers on? Apparently, yeah. there is. You know, there's a there there are a few numbers which are you know, there's more than one six on there. Yes, yeah, so interesting. Yeah. And you think to yourself, what does that mean? There's there's more than one Patrick Magoon style prisoner there, and then you know, sometimes they would use clips from you know a stock footage they had to establish the village. And probably by accident, there would be a picture right in the background of, you know, an image of, of Patrick McGoon walking along. And then it would cut to Patrick McGoon's room. And you think, well, hang on, though. Really, that could have been another guy. Mm-hmm. And then you see an episode like Free For All. Yeah, and he's, or Schizoid Man. And he's going through, yeah, but Free For All, he's going through the, the you know, various, clicking through various channels and things. He's become uh, number uh, number two. And at one point, it comes up an image of him walking around <laughs> In his office, mm-hmm. yeah, sorry, in his in his in his house. So how can he be in his house and in the number two's headquarters? You know, so that so I always got the impression from watching it. You know, more you watch it, you think there could be a six number Patrick McGowan's walking around. And another thing, another thing I I thought was basically every episode mm-hmm. is the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, you, he 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 goes and resigns in the title sequence, and he's goes on holiday and he's about to go on holiday and he gets gassed, he gets taken away by his undertakers and then he wakes up in the village. In every episode he could have appeared for the first time in that village and have no memory of what had previously happened before. It's like every episode is day one. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I think one of the societal question is, uh, and I was actually, and that's one of the great things about this uh, show is you can watch it and then, you know, uh, if you're not stoned <laughs> and you can have an intellectual conversation about the themes. And I was talking to my daughter who's of high school age and I oh, said, yeah. really, if you think about it, are any of us really free? You talked about the numbers here in the States. And I don't know, I can't recall what you call it over in the UK, but we have our social security numbers to do anything. You need your social security number. Uh, And if you don't provide it or you say, well, I don't think I'll participate. Good luck. Um, Another thing. And again, I'm not anti-taxes. Somebody has to pay for the roads, but if you don't pay your taxes, you'll find out how free you are. (laughs) Mm. Not Mm -hmm. free at all. So if you really think about it, it's, to me, it's like an animal in a cage. I mean, it may be a big cage and we may be able to do a lot of things, but we all have barriers and we all have our personal island. The boundaries may vary, uh, but none of us are really free. No, well, that's true. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you, I, I'm not free to go and kill my next door neighbor. People right. would object to that, you know. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but we throw the word around, well, we're free. And I mean, again, uh, obviously, I'm not suggesting that people should live like savages and just do whatever they want. <laughs> you know, you should, you know, you should, uh, I think the golden rule is a, is a pretty good rule. You, you want to treat others as you, you would hope to be treated. Um, but, but I'm just saying, freedom, really, the way we throw it around, I think we're a little too free with the word free. Well, there's an interesting episode called Many Happy Returns, and the prisoner wakes up, and there's no one in the village at all. So effectively, you think about it, he's free. He can go to any room, he can take anything, he could have a share, he could do anything he likes. And what does he do? He decides to escape back to Britain and basically become part of the establishment again, which he was running from. He goes in there and says, you know, um, I, I, I've been missing, this is why, this is, you know, hello, Colonel, and, he, he, and, they, and they fly him back. So he is, you know, he says he, he wants to leave the, uh, the service, but he, he still sees himself as part of it, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, if he escapes from the village, he ends up driving down this road. <laughs> he's he's, he's yeah. part of, the village is the microcosm mm-hmm. of the world, which is a macrocosm, yeah. and he is a part of that. And there's no way he can escape from that. There's one idea he might go to the moon, isn't yeah. he? You know, I can I go to the moon? You know, I'll, I'll be free up there. Well, kind of he would be. But then again, what is he taking with him? He's taking all the, you know, the reason he went there in the first place was, to, was in rejection of something. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything that we think and feel and the language we use and what we write with and what we wear, that is manufactured. And the reason why there's particular styles you're wearing or a particular haircut you've got is what is, you know, current thinking of the day. You know, what, what, the interesting thing is what, is, what, are, what is you? What is you and what is, you know, society? Mm-hmm. How can you pare down to find your sovereign self, Alan Stevens? This piece here is Alan Stevens. Everything else, everything else is being British or, you know, being a writer or uh, going out with Fiona or talking to you on this phone call, you know, interrelating. But what part of me is me? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think, I don't know. I mean, you know, if the prisoner discovers that he is number one, then, then the entire village effectively is taking place in his head, and yet he rejects it. So what is it? What part of him is rejecting the village? Mm-hmm. What, if the village represents everything else, then, then what 
part, what, what is left mm. when you remove it? If, for example, the prisoner died mm-hmm. and what he went to was a kind of, um, what would you call it, Fiona? Purgatory. Purgatory. And what has been created for him is the society, the life he came from, and that's what he has to burn away from. That's what, it, what has to, he has to reject and remove himself from. But at the end of the day, you know, perhaps there's nothing left. Perhaps mm-hmm. there is only the village and his reaction to it, which is insane, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, here, here, yeah. and I know we're, I don't want to take too much of your time because I know you're preparing for a conference, but uh, two more things about The Prisoner, and then I want to briefly talk about your Battlestar Galactica book uh, because mm-hmm. we're fans of that show as well. Uh, but, um, and then this is the big spoiler, folks. So if you have not seen the uh, show, I would recommend turning this off right now. You've been giving fair warning because we're going to talk about the big question of the prisoner and we're going to go no holds barred. So turn it off right now or don't get mad at me. Here goes. Uh, Okay. The question of who is number one. And of course we had the big finale with the pulling off of the monkey mask and it was McGowan. It was, it was number six was number one. And it always the thing that I go back to when I think about that is the fact when he would ask the question of number two, who is number one? And the reply would be many you times. You are number six. <laughs> you are, but the way it would be say, you are number six. So mm-hmm. the intonation made it sound like it was just a statement, yeah. not the fact, well, you are no, number six. <laughs> it's clever, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it is Every very episode, clever. episode, he gets the answer. Yes. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't see it because yeah, the intonation is wrong. <laughs> but I guess the question I would have, I, I, my reaction, and I think it's a reaction of probably people at the time, because I believe there was some real uh, consternation about the finale. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. He had to leave the country. <laughs> what the hell did that mean? I mean, <laughs> what, well, what do you I kind of think it, it was him, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's an episode called um, A, B, and C, isn't there? And at the end of the day, you know, they go into the, the prisoner's mind and, uh, and then he reveals the big number, the guy he was going to sell out to, or allegedly. Mm-hmm. And and actually, it, it is number two, isn't it? So right as as far back as is um, uh, A, B, and C, you have the idea that you know uh, the participant in the dream is, you know, mm-hmm. the person you're searching for is yourself. So uh, yeah, I mean, he he discovered that he in fact he wasn't holding himself <laughs> prisoner, and he escapes. Mm-hmm. Um, he drives in a truck from this uh, island. Um, onto a London road, <laughs> mm-hmm. turns up in London, um, and and effectively um, drives down a road uh, in his his lovely car, um, and 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 the series begins again. It's almost like a a huge loop. You know what did he learn? I don't think he learned anything, did he? Really, mm-hmm. he learned who number one was, and he discovered it was himself. But why was it him? And where is he? Yeah, as to what it all means. I mean, one of the things we. Uh, did when we uh, were uh, writing the book was we approached it as uh, a series to which there is no no right answer, as it were. There, are, it's, it's a mystery, there, there are, yeah. or or there, there are many answers. You know, there are, uh, there there is no kind of um, you know key that you can use to kind of unlock and go. Okay, that's what that final episode means. There are lots of different ways that you could interpret it, and lots of different ways you can see it, and lots of different lessons you can take from it. Um, but at the end of the day, a lot of it's up to the individual and the context. Patrick McGowan passed away in, in, in 2009. Uh, mm-hmm. When he made this show, do you think that 
Um, he had any inkling that this was going to be the thing that he would probably be best known for. And um, was he comfortable with that? I mean, he did go on to, to be in many movies and different things. But I mean, if you see a picture of Patrick McGowan, the average person who's a fan of this genre is going to say, The Prisoner. Was he okay with that? I mean, I think Patrick McGowan um, wanted to do it. It was something in him he needed to get out. Uh, he directed a lot of it. Um, he wrote a number of episodes, a number of key episodes, including the last one. Uh, and I think he was perfectly happy to be associated with it. And I think it's a great thing to be associated with. I mean, there are a lot of bad. There's a lot of bad television out there, and you could be a, a program can be popular, but also not very good. So it's great to be associated with something uh, as great as a prisoner, and say, hey, Patrick McGowan, he was a prisoner. He wasn't just the guy who uh, who played the lead. He he devised it yeah. part in part. He he directed it in part. He wrote it in part. Um, and I think he knew it would last. And I think he knew it would last because when they were um, on about getting the the, the, the Beatles involved, um, he said, "Yeah, Beatles are successful. Right? Yeah, very popular. Yeah, do you think they'll last?" And the guy said, "Yeah, I think they're going to be around for a long time. So just, <laughs> like, we'll put them in then." Yeah, because he knew he would be, or his show anyway. Yeah, it's lived in. It'd be there years, you know, fifty years from there to be talking about it. Hopefully, reading our book as well. <laughs> yes, absolutely. In fact, I want to I want to reiterate that before we move on to Battlestar Galactica, uh, the book is Fallout: The Unofficial and Unauthorized Guide to the Prisoner, and I know it's available here in the states and, and Amazon, and I'm assuming uh, bookstores and stuff should be able to order it if the if oh, you request it. Yeah, worldwide. Uh, it is a it is a great book. I actually have it downloaded onto my Kindle. I have the Kindle version and going through it now as I'm re-watching the series and, and really enjoyable. Another series that we've actually spotlit on the show, even though the show's fairly new, um, is Battlestar Galactica. And we had the pleasure to have Captain Apollo himself on the program a few episodes ago, Richard Hatch. If you are a fan and haven't heard that one, go back in the archives and listen to it. Uh, but you guys decided to also do a book on Battlestar Galactica. Now, uh, if you're looking at space-based sci-fi series, TV series, a lot of people say, well, why didn't you do Star Wars? Why didn't you do Star Trek? Why did you guys focus on Battlestar Galactica? Um, well, what happened was that the uh, Battlestar Galactica, the reimagined series, was running at the time. And um, David Hare, again, I think we we just finished the Prisoner book, and he was very pleased with it. And he said, um, okay, how about Battlestar Galactica? And I just said, yeah, okay. <laughs> Uh, I'd been watching it. I'd watched the, the opening pilot episode. I'd watched the original 70s series um, in the 1990s when it was shown. Not networked very well in the 1980s or 1870s, but they showed it on, on BBC Two every week, and, and I watched it then, and I thought it was all right. Um, I um, watched... A friend of mine sent me the... Uh, the uh, what a telemovie of the a reimagined series, and uh, I... She really disliked it, and uh, I, I, I think then we, I, I don't know, how, how did we catch up? We caught up on some episodes of the series, didn't we, Fiona? Okay, yeah. Well, how it started really was, uh, yeah, um, a friend of ours uh, uh, sent us Telebuli, the miniseries, and uh, yeah, we weren't generally impressed, but you know, kind of, we were uh, interested enough by it to hang on and watch some more of it. Uh, so we did, and um, yeah, you know, we thought, oh, this is a this is a really good series, and so uh, 
Yeah, when uh, David Howe said, uh, you know, kind of, we'd like to do something on Battlestar Galactica, initially what we thought was we'd do, uh, now, one of the things we did in our prisoner book was uh, we watched all of Danger Man. Uh, but uh, in doing so, we kind of realized that uh, while Danger Man is a fantastic series and really deserves a book all its own, mm. that uh, unfortunately it hasn't really stood the test of time in the way the prisoner has. So uh, we weren't sure we could really persuade Telos that uh, we should do a, a second book on Danger Man. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead, we just kind of did an overview essay, sort of highlighting, uh, urging people to see Danger Man and highlighting particularly significant episodes and uh, talking about its relationship with the prisoner. And we thought that was what we were going to be doing with the original series of Battlestar Galactica. Now, uh, um, I had seen it even less recently than Alan because uh, I saw it when I was uh, um, a a little kid in the 70s on its original run. You know, I quite like Boxy, but I don't think I really intellectually appreciated the series. (laughs) And so, you know, in order to write our uh, essay on the original series, we sat down and watched the original series, and we rapidly realized that the original series was great. Yeah. It was wonderful. You know, it was really fantastic. And all these people who said, you know, oh, the original series was just boring space opera and the new series is where it's at... Uh, needed to be uh, gently reminded that this wasn't the case. No, I so, thought the, the new series borrows a hell of a lot. Yeah, a lot series. more than the uh, showrunners admit. Yeah. Um, so we And there were some, I mean, there were some bad episodes, to be yeah. honest, but there were also some absolutely fantastic episodes. And yeah. uh, I, I said to Fiona, we, we've got to include this is one we've got to review this is one this is really really good we did so, so we, yeah. we did luckily i mean one of the good things about telos is that uh, the guys that run it uh, and the lady that runs it as well it's uh, three people uh, you know they're they're all fans and so they 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 understand and they appreciate it if you say to them this has to be two books um, right. and th- then they they won't say no no you, your contract says one book it's got to be one book they will say okay if you think there's enough there for two volumes then uh, let's do two volumes well what actually happened um, I don't actually remember this Fiona but um, we sent this massive book yeah. in and David Hayes said uh, this is huge it's going to have to be two books so can we hive off the Galactic and Galactic of 1980s a separate book so we went away and we we did that we did a bit of rewrite we had to sort of rewrite it slightly to, to fit in with that and we did that and uh, that came out, mm-hmm. and that was a, a everyone loved that. We got loads of great reviews, and it sold really, really well. And um, and then we said, okay, we'll start work on you know tidying up the uh, the volume two. Mm-hmm. And I started reading it, and I thought I don't like this book. <laughs> and I think the problem was we'd started writing it before the show had ended. Mm-hmm. And often the shape of a series, you can't quite get the shape of a series until you have an ending. Mm-hmm. And so Fiona and I looked at each other and we said, mm, okay. And we basically rewrote the damn book from page one <laughs> right up to page 650. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, we were commissioned to do one book, which would have probably been like 300, words, 300 pages long. Yep. And we ended up doing the equivalent of five books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, obviously I was slightly oversimplifying there in terms of the book, but uh, it was a bit more like, you know, kind of we realized we had a monster on our hands. And uh, yeah, we were thinking, you know, kind of maybe they'll split it into two volumes. You know, that would probably be a good idea. But yes, certainly uh, we were quite relieved when they seemed to be of the same mind that they read it and uh, they said this is a monster of a book, but they didn't say cut it down. Instead, they said, let's uh, let's look at a two-volume thing. Though, as Alan says, it's, uh, it is really much more like... Uh, it could, it could, you know, it could run to about five volumes, you know, and uh, uh, the, and it could even go further because, frankly, we did have to uh, cut things down and, uh, you know, we couldn't do a full, uh, we had to confine Caprica to an essay. We had to, uh, rather than uh, give it the full, uh, 
uh, treatment for every episode. Uh, there's a friend of mine who's a director, and he said to me, or, uh, Kevin Davis, and he said mm-hmm. to me, uh, so what's your next book? It's going to be about Cycle Galactica. He said, really? I said, yeah. Uh, all of it? I said, yeah. He said, well, you've bitten off a lot there. And I thought, what's he talking about? Well, seven years later, I have to say, David, if you listen to, David, if you listen to this, you were correct. Mm. Well, he bit <laughs> off one hell of a lot, but luckily we were able to chew it. Yes. Do you think uh, the original series, ABC, killed that off really quickly? If you think, uh, if they had let that show uh, run out its natural life, do you think it would have been on par with a, with a Star Trek? Um, I think he's on par with Star Trek anyway, to be honest. Um, I, what happened was that uh, it was very expensive to make, um, and it was easier and cheaper to do, you know, work in Mindy. Right. Uh, and so they killed it. And then uh, they came under a lot of pressure to bring it back. And as uh, a lot of execs do, in that they don't long to bring it back, they bring it back in a sort of debased form. Mm-hmm. Um, but as it turned out, it cost them even more <laughs> to make it, even more expensive because of all location footage. And uh, the people working on it didn't want to work on it, the other version. And uh, they were, you know, they used to shake, come on, 13, come on, 13, because they knew if it mm-hmm. hit the ratings hit 13 million, then it was going to be cancelled. And uh, eventually they did cancel it. So it was a kind of, you know, it left a bad taste in everyone's mouth. The show had, it, originally it was meant to be a series of uh, linked movies so there would have been you know the original um saga of the star world followed by um gun on ice station sorry gun on ice Ice planet Planet zero Zero. i keep saying ice station zero um which of course is a magoon yes (laughs) yeah um but of course it did ripple ripple off on that film anyway but i actually i don't like um um gun on ice station oh whatever yes. the, 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 the Battlestar Galactica I like the film the Battlestar Galactica one. Um, Living Legend which is excellent and they then they so what happened was that the pilot goes out and it gets like like the biggest audience ever mm-hmm. and uh, they say okay can we turn this into a series and so they're then forced to do these standalone episodes you know at the last minute and uh, standalone episodes they did get better actually um, but some of the earlier ones aren't so good. So you've got a show which was originally a series of, you know, uh, like like um, telly movies turned into a series uh, and then cancelled and then brought back for Kiddywinks. Mm. So you can see how everyone involved with it is going to be, you know, annoyed. So when it did come back, you then had a problem with people who loved the original series and basically wanted to see a reboot of that um, being upset by the fact that... Uh, it came back as a as a reimagined show. You know, it wasn't the cast were, were all different, and it was. But it was basically the same show, really. But, but it, a lot of anger. But <laughs> I, I mean, certainly, it's for the length of time it was on the original time, and the fact that there was such a long period between the 1980 series and the the, the reboot of it. Uh, it is remarkable that you know, it was able to make such an impact. And now when you go to the different conventions, you see the Star Trek people, you see the Star Wars people, and you see the Battlestar Galactica people. So for it to kind of climb back and and have the, a place at that table is, is pretty impressive. Yeah, well, Star Trek was, was I mean, I, I love the original series. It was only on three years, I think. Yeah, the original series. I mean, that was mucked must, must about as well. With, was, well, sorry again. That was messed about with as well, wasn't it? You know, the original Star Trek. Uh uh, and then they 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 brought it back and it was successful and and they eventually ended up Enterprise and I think that kind of killed it off for a while, didn't it? Mm-hmm. But I, I think um, yeah, it, it is remarkable the fact that a show which effectively 
um, was being sued <laughs> when it was on, wasn't it? By yes, uh, yeah, because uh, it, oh yeah, the, it was yeah, the lasers. <laughs> it wasn't infringement, by the way. It, 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 it the case was thrown out, but that was hanging over it while it was on, and um, and then you know, and then it 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 died, and I think. Uh, Richard Hatch, I mean, he's a, uh, you know, Richard Hatch is a very nice guy and he very kindly wrote a forward from our uh, first mm. volume. Um, Matthew Bennett wrote the volume, wrote the forward for the second one, but he, he very, very kindly uh, wrote the introduction and he used to campaign enormously for Battlestar Galactica to come back. In fact, he even did his own kind of like mm. mini pilot, didn't he? Mm. Um, and, 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 very and, good it is too. Yeah, and, and kept it alive in people's minds. So, you know, I think a lot of you know, a lot of uh, praise should go to him, and a lot of you know, um, and, and the fans themselves, they they loved it. There was something about the show, you know. I think they, when you when you love something, you should love it for its flaws as well. You should recognise those flaws, and I think that when you try and make excuses for those flaws, then I think that isn't love. That's a kind of fanaticism. And uh, we had a review recently of which I read of um, our second book, and they said they obviously love Battlestar Galactica. But, um, you know, it, they're willing to point out where yeah. stuff doesn't work. And you have to do that, yeah. you know, otherwise it's just, uh, you know. Uh, I know. I, when yeah. I write, we write the guidebooks, you know, who do you write your guidebooks for? Well, one of the things that I think is a strength uh, is that, uh, you know, first and foremost, we ask ourselves what sort of guidebook we'd like as fans of um, Lake Seven, The Prisoner, Battlestar Galactica, whatever series we're working on. And, uh, you know, I uh, really don't like, uh, I think neither of us really likes uh, those sorts of guidebooks that just try and uh, every TV series ever, you know, has some episodes that are less good and some uh, and most of them have some episodes where you just really have to point and laugh. And, uh, you know, I really hate these uh, guidebooks that kind of try and uh, make out like everything is all brilliant and that the uh, the, the less good episodes are nonetheless, you know, uh, total uh, gems of televisual... Uh, of course, there is the opposite you know, thing, isn't yeah. it? Where people, you know, become bitter, don't they? Yeah, and just continually carp on about yeah. the, the minor, minor that, things. That's the flip you know. side of it. That's also... Uh, I also don't like reading these guidebooks where it's just sort of snark, snark, snark all the time. We also write essays about Doctor Who. We've never done a book about Doctor Who. And mm. some... Uh, you know, so there's some uh, articles about it where you're just sort of like, good heavens, people, are you fans of the program? You mm. know, uh, but, you know, so I think you need to strike a balance. You need to, uh, when the series is great, talk about why it's great and what it did that was so wonderful. And yet at the same time, you know, if... Uh, Something if it, goes wrong, point yeah, out if it, what, yeah. why it went wrong. You know. Yeah, if it, if it uh, delivers you, uh, you know, an episode with... Uh, um, you know, uh, space uh, space children with miraculous powers playing baseball. You know, then you just have to sort of go, no, no. You know, uh, sit back. You know, if you're going to watch this one, sit back and uh, laugh at the baseball. You know. <laughs> Don't pretend this is intellectual. Well, uh, interesting look at a great series or multiple series in this case, mm -hmm. uh, in both cases. Um, real quickly, what other books do you have out? And maybe is there anything on a drawing board for any more guidebooks? Uh, well, we've done three guidebooks moment. Um, Blake Seven uh, called Liberation. Mm -hmm. um, unofficial. All for, same, um, all for Telos. Um, By Your Command, Volume 1 and 2 on Battlestar Galactica. Fallout for the prisoners you already mentioned. Um, um, David Harris, when we last saw him, he says, "Right, what's the next book?" And we said, oh, "I don't know yet. Let me let's have a rest." I mean, yeah. we spent we've written five books in seven years, you know, and and, and two of them, two of them effectively were just uh, you know we put straight in the dustbin because it was a rewrite, wasn't it? Yeah, we so, put uh, we that having been said, we did put a few ideas to him uh, hmm. that were. Uh, 
uh, you know, the three of us are kind of mulling over and trying to decide, uh, you know, what if, uh, if anything will be our next thing for tell-off. The thing is, if it's a big series, yeah. then, then you are committed to watch it. And you eventually have to watch some episodes, let's say, you know, seven or eight times. Yeah. And you can get sick to death of it. I yeah. mean, I didn't, when, I, when we did the Battlestar, when we did the Blake 7 book in 2003, um, I didn't watch any episodes of Blake 7 again until last year because I really couldn't face it. It can kind of kill a thing for you. Um, so, you know, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure what we're going to be doing, but they, there's a few things on the table. I don't want to say yet. Because yeah. you get totally understandable. Totally yeah. understandable. But in the meantime, if you want to read our essays on Doctor Who that mm. have been published in uh, a variety of magazines, mostly Celestial Toy Room, um, you can go to www.caldorcity.com and um, just look for the articles. We've also produced a number of radio series. Uh, one of them called uh, Caldor City, which is a uh, a Blake Seven Doctor Who crossover, and another one called Faction Paradox, which, which is, is uh, uh, written by another guy, but uh, you know, who's a friend of ours and a really good guy, and uh, you know, so, uh, but you know, they're all to the same high production standard. Yeah, Alistair Locke, who does the work for uh, Big Finish, he's an excellent sound yeah. designer, and he does it on, you know, he works on it. So, uh, and we've done a number of stage plays as well, haven't we, Fiona? And, yep, uh, yeah. stage plays, short stories, mm. you know. You name it. We'll do anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, no object. Yeah. Well, you, <laughs> well, you've done a great job with these guidebooks, and we certainly appreciate your time. And I guess, uh, as they would say at the, the prisoner, thank you and be seeing you. Be seeing you. Fantastic. Be seeing you. And thank you for tuning in to TV You Grew Up With. Stay tuned. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye, everybody.